It's the most engaging contest of the year, Israel versus Hamas on Sportscasters. It's available at youtube.com slash America. Make sure to share it and like it. It's been taken off online. We appreciate you uh, supporting it. Click the bell for notifications and follow the page while you're there. If you will, we have new uh, bits. We have a new one coming out on Monday that I think you're really going to like as well. Uh, we'll take a look at the state of the nation with the chicks on the right. Steve Baker is here with the latest on his wild situation with the FBI about 20 and less than 24 hours from when he has to turn himself over uh, to the FBI here in Dallas. A crazy story. But we start by doing revenge of the state. When you do something to the state, like tell the truth about them, you get the revenge of the state like Steve Baker is dealing with right now. And certainly uh, like Donald Trump is dealing with uh, over the uh, election period here. He's got four major criminal investigations and trials uh, that are on the horizon here. And you kind of go through them, and, and let's pick them apart quickly, one by one, because there's been some major developments in two of the cases in particular. But you have the uh, Alvin Bragg case, which has to do with the hush money payments to Stormy Daniels. Again, most people consider this to be the weakest of the cases, a real stretch as to even if he has the jurisdiction to make these charges. Uh, and, I, you know, everyone knows the Stormy Daniels story already. So probably not a huge impact on, on the election coming out of that one. And then you have the documents case. And the documents case is one where Donald Trump is going to have some significant legal trouble as far as whether he was actually guilty and whether he, uh, you know, maybe um, uh, misled, let's say, uh, authorities when they were asking for these documents. He's going to have some trouble there, probably. He may be able to get out of it, um, but it's going to be probably uh, a conviction uh, on something uh, when it comes to that case. That being said, I said this, as you know, from the very beginning, as it relates not only to Donald Trump, but also to Joe Biden. I don't really care. I frankly don't really care if he had boxes of documents in his house that he wasn't supposed to. He's the president of the United States. He saw all these documents. There are records of all these documents still back uh, where in, you know, in the White House. It's not like there's a surprise document that he kept. If we found out he was, you know, selling these documents to the Russians for profit, Sure, then I'd be very upset, but there's no evidence or even accusation that he was doing anything like that. The accusation is, ah, I was too close to the shower. Now, you paint the picture in your mind. You tell me the picture of the person. Show me. Think about this for a second. Think of the person with the Trump sign in their front yard. And then it's the picture of that person stomping outside angrily one day and taking that sign and ripping it out of the ground and saying, I can't believe he stored those documents incorrectly. That person doesn't exist. I don't think this affects anybody's vote. Obviously, if you hate him, you think he's the worst guy in the world. If you love him, you think he's innocent of everything. But the bottom line is I don't think this changes anybody's mind. I do think it's possible that the January 6th stuff could change people's minds, some in the middle at least, if there was some new evidence that really you know, had people you know, turned upside down on this. I don't think you're going to see that evidence, but it's at least theoretically possible these could affect him. And I think when you're talking about moderates who don't pay close attention, they remember January 6th, they didn't like it very much. And the fact is that they could see, you could see some impact with um, uh, undecided voters when it comes to that. However, it's starting to look like those aren't going to have much of an impact at all, even if they turn out eventually the way the Democrats want them to turn out. 
Why? Well, the Supreme Court has handed Donald Trump a huge win even before it hears his case. This is from the Axios uh, uh, website. And they go through, you know, what basically happened yesterday, which is the Supreme Court decided they were going to take this claim of a presidential immunity up. This is, uh, I don't know if it's a surprise. They are sort of fast-tracking it, uh, at least for the Supreme Court. They're kind of a slow-moving operation, as you may know. This means that the or, uh, the arguments will be held in April. I think it's April 22nd. And we will probably get a ruling on this in June. Now, that means that literally nothing can happen in this case whatsoever. Zero. It's out of the jurisdiction now of the court that was handling it previously. Nothing can happen until June. Think about them trying to ratchet this thing back up in June. You are in the period where you're going to have uh, the conventions going on in the following weeks. This is going to be a situation where they will be right in the middle of, of the election, more than they even said that they wanted to, uh, to be. And it also really will hype up every single polarizing aspect of this situation. You know, everybody on the right is going to be like, you're putting him through a, a criminal trial while he's trying to campaign for president of the United States. The left will say, how dare you not put him in prison right now? The whole thing is going to be crazy. And you think there's a chance that this could be avoided. Also, in addition, Donald Trump doesn't, hasn't used every trick in his bag yet, right? Like, we all know Trump wanted to delay these trials. That's a smart tactic as a, as a defendant in one of these trials. He's trying to delay it, trying to get it over the hump, because if he can become president of the United States, obviously he can pardon himself. So he's trying to delay this. Once this is over, they're going to have more delay tactics, and probably some of those will work, and probably some of those will drag out this trial situation even longer. So the, the idea of this trial actually impacting this election, I think, is low. I think the possibility is low. And I will say, um, and we talked a little bit about Gemini AI earlier in the week. Well, it's not just uh, the Gemini AI. Uh, Tom Bevan from Real Clear Politics pointed this out. If you search about this trial and the delay for the Supreme Court, these are the articles that you get. A Joy Reid column on it, a Washington Post uh, talking about it, Vox, the Supreme Court order sabotaging Trump's D.C. criminal trial. You get uh, uh, CNN and the New York Times, uh, their coverage. And then you, they even selectively pull clips from X talking about this. People like Hillary Clinton, Nancy Pelosi and Randy Weingarten. <laughs> I mean, this is just insane. So the coverage is not going to be fair. Um, now, in the other trial, you have Georgia. This is the Fonnie Reed trial. And to complicate that even further, hackers are threatening to release Trump documents from the Georgia case if they don't get a ransom by today. We'll see if that happens and what that means. And then Megyn Kelly broke this story yesterday on her show. She got the text from the court, from this former friend and attorney of Nathan Wade, who outlines all sorts of things that he said and that contradict with his what his testimony in the trial, but also completely outline that he knew this affair was going on long before um, Wade was hired by Fonnie Willis. Uh, text show witness readily helped build a case to disqualify Trump prosecutors. He was basically cheering them on. He, when asked whether it was from you know, way back in 2019, he said absolutely. And he also volunteered the exact meeting place when it happened back in whatever it was, 2019. Uh, he also uh, went on and on and had a chance uh, to, um, he actually offered corrections to the filing and said, hey, you know, th this part of it you should change, um, but nothing about the relationship and was asked, hey, is there anything else, anything at all that we should change before we file this thing? 
He said, uh, no, looks good. So this is, you know, I mean, to me, it's an open and shut case, honestly. And again, while I think the pessimism is real by a lot of people, think that never any any uh, consequences come in these situations, which is a fair thought, frankly. Um, in this case, you know, you have a, a judge that was appointed, I believe, by a Republican and also uh, a, a member of the Federalist Society. This is not some liberal judge. This is not a D.C. jury we're talking about here. This is a pretty seemingly sane judge, so we will see. My point here is that Trump is in the best legal position he's been since this whole thing started. You know, will a conviction on any of these charges move the needle for even undecided voters? We're starting to, I mean, because he can just say, well, that's the Fonnie Willis thing you're talking about. Uh, that, what, are, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. You can't get me on that. Uh, documents, that's it. Um, if something truly terrible is uncovered that we don't know, of course, that would change the situation. But remember when they complained about the delays by the Supreme Court, remember what they did here. They waited two years, waited for him to announce his run before they really went forward with any of these charges, because the old, they never would have done any of this if Donald Trump wasn't running. It's clear as day. And of course, they have a lot of room to make up here. And they, they, they're putting their hopes on the legal stuff. It better work for them. Trump is now leading Biden in seven swing states. Uh, across all seven states, it's 48-43. North Carolina, it's 50-41. to 41. That's not even really a swing state, honestly. Trump had a six-point lead in Arizona, Nevada, Georgia, and Pennsylvania. I mean, those are really good numbers. Wisconsin and Mad uh, in, in Michigan, it was four and two points, respectively. The bottom line is... The Democrats have a lot of work to do if they're actually going to win this election. And the closer and closer you get, the more and more you think they have to question having a guy who's 82 years old and completely senile as their standard bearer. That might be an issue going forward. All right. Our friend Steve Baker, he works here at The Blaze. He is they're bringing, I mean, he's going to get arrested tomorrow. He has to turn himself in tomorrow on January 6th charges. We've told you his story before. I want to remind you about the story and what it means coming up. Steve is here a day before his arrest. That comes up next. We all do a lot of things in our lives to, to avoid dealing with woke companies, right? Maybe you've changed uh, you know, your cell phone service, or maybe you've changed uh, the companies that you buy clothing from, or the drinks that you consume. All these things we're doing all the time. But a lot of times we might look at our portfolio when our retirement look uh, is, is in the future and say, wait a minute. I'm investing in some of these companies. I didn't even realize it. Well, Constitution Wealth can help you unwind all of that. These are great guys. You're going to love talking to them when you get them on the phone because they think like you and they know this realm so well, they can navigate you around all the things you want to avoid. They can help you build a solid investment plan because you got to retire someday, but you can build that investment plan without ESG and DEI and all the stuff you want to avoid. So why would you invest? in those companies when you don't have to. This is your opportunity to help build the parallel economy by working with an investment firm comprised with professionals who know what they're doing and are patriots just like you. Work with an advisor who shares your conservative patriotic values. Why would you go anywhere else? Go to constitutionwealth.com slash stew. Get a free consultation today. It's constitutionwealth.com slash stew. Constitutionwealth.com slash stew. I'm joined now by Steve Baker, investigative journalist, Blaze Media contributor, and of course, hardened criminal. 
Steve, welcome to the program. Hey, it's uh, welcome. Uh, it's, it's actually, actually, I feel welcomed because I know that tomorrow my welcome committee is going to be slightly different. Yeah, it will be slightly <laughs> right, different. Right. Uh, this is the day. This has been a buildup for multiple years now. You knew at some point this was coming, kind of, although it didn't seem rational. So you kind of, I, I'm sure, held out hope. But kind of walk people through the last uh, three years as quick as you can if they haven't, <laughs> if they don't know the story. Yeah, uh, the, the, the short version of this is that in July of uh, 2021, just a five or six months after the January 6th event, I was contacted by the FBI. We gave them a cooperative interview, which was negotiated between my attorney and the uh, Department of Justice, actually the U.S. Attorney General's Office, because of my standing as a, as a member of the press, mm -hmm. they had to actually get permission. The FBI or no other federal agent can interview a member of the press without express written permission from the United States Attorney General. So it took a few months for that to happen. That eventually took place in October of 21. A month later in November, we got a notice from the uh, Department of Justice that in fact they were going to charge me with January 6th related crimes. We were able to basically beat that back with a pretty aggressive uh, press offensive at the time. And then they went silent for 20 months. They went from telling me that I was gonna be charged within the week to not even hearing from them again for 20 months. And then now you jump to August of 2023 and we got a grand jury subpoena for my videos that I had taken, mm -hmm. which was a bit absurd because we had offered that free of you know yeah, you any didn't. obligations to them. You weren't trying to hide them. Two years before. Mm -hmm. And so um, we complied once again, and then they went silent for another four months. And then in December, we got a call, and I was actually sitting in Thomas Massey's office, uh, Representative Massey's office. Mm. I get a call from my attorney, and he says, okay, well, it's happening. They want you to uh, self-surrender next week. So this would have been the week before Christmas. And then, thank goodness, you know, Blaze Media went into a, a hardcore offensive yet again. Within 30 hours, they backed off again, and we didn't hear from them for two months. And, and now this week, uh, we're... Uh, well, it's D-Day, I guess. Yeah, this time it's happening. It's happening tomorrow. It's happening tomorrow. They want you to show up in shorts and sandals. Yeah, they want. Uh, yeah, they, the actual description was they wanted me to wear shorts, a T-shirt, and um, flip-flops uh, to my uh, surrender. To, to make the change, because they, they really are telling you they're going to change you into an orange jumpsuit. Well, that's what that, that's the indication there, yeah. because they, they don't want me showing, they don't want me showing up with a suit and a tie and shoelaces and all of the typical professional garments that I would normally wear to such an event. Right. So, uh, <laughs> you have a normal dress code for such an event, Steve? Well, yeah, <laughs> I have unfortunately, you know, covered other people's sure. events. Sure, okay, there you go. So, mm -hmm. so that's, <laughs> that's a clear indication to us that the intention is is then to have me change into the orange jumpsuit. Mm -hmm. And and certainly that means that they're going to put me in chains as well, or handcuffs at the very least. Uh, the, the young uh, journalist from Raleigh, North Carolina, Stephen Horn, who went through this same thing, not a rioter, no protesting, no, you know, uh, chanting or parading or anything of, any, anything of that sort. He was actually... Um, marched before the magistrate there in North Carolina in an orange jumpsuit and leg chains. I want to get into how insane this is and what it means for the country, not, not, not just you, which is a big part of this, but the entire country is really affected when things like this happen. But can you kind of take me back to January 6th for a second? You're there covering the event as a journalist. 
how do you get into the Capitol? You're not denying you went into the Capitol. You're, you've told them this directly because you're a journalist, just like a bunch of other journalists. How, how did you get in there? Why did you go in there? What did you do when you were inside? It, it, was, it was no more simple than, uh, or no more complicated than this, Stu, is that the story developed unlike anything that we expected. I, yeah. ex I expected to do man-on-the-street interviews with people that attended the rally that day. I took my man-on-the-street microphone, my, my tripod, and my camera, and that's what I was going to do. I was there with another writer, mm -hmm. and we were going to interview people and go back home and write our respective stories about it. And that was it. Yeah. Well, the story didn't go that way. And I just you know followed my instincts and followed the story where the story went. And the story went, first of all, to the West Terrace there where the battle, first battle line was formed. We weren't there when it happened. By the time we got there, there were no barricades left. There was no fencing left. All of that had been removed and hidden, mm. been, had been taken away. We saw no restrictions up to that point whatsoever. By the time we got there, there was a full-on battle going on. There was violence taking place. As soon as I turned on my camera, the first thing that I captured were people on both sides of the police line getting first aid. Wow. So that had already been happening for some time before we arrived. And then it, it continued to progress up until just after 2 o'clock. Uh, there was a breach on the, the police line up uh, what they call the Northwest Terrace. And people, hundreds of people were flowing up. I followed that story where it went. And then when I got up in the upper terrace, hundreds of people were flowing in through an open door into the Capitol building. I followed them in. And then I did my job to document as much as I could, not knowing at the time, Stu, that dozens of other journalists had already preceded me through broken windows and busted open doors before I ever got there. It's a really important point because I, I think people think, oh, well, you know, journalists, uh, they shouldn't have been, maybe someone would say, no matter what the circumstances, they shouldn't have gone in that building. And, you know, you can argue that's true, but if you argue if that, that's true, you also have to go after the New York Times. And who else? I mean, everybody was in there at this point. The fifth person through the first broken window was a New York Times journalist. The fifth person. The fifth person through the first broken window. The fifth person to breach that restricted area. That's I've never heard that. That's incredible. That's absolutely correct. Not only that, but... Let's make sure the American people understand this. It doesn't matter who you work for. It doesn't matter whether you have a press credential. It doesn't matter if you have a congressional press credential mm -hmm. or not. If you breach a restricted barrier or line and you don't have the permission of law enforcement, you have technically broken the law. Mm. So you're subject to the same violation that I am. Press credentials mean nothing at that point by the law. Mm -hmm. And so... What we're looking at here, related to me and the other more right-leaning journalists who ha have been charged before me, some who have spent time in prison already, is that this is a hardcore, blatant case of selective prosecution. Because what they cannot show us yet is that they have applied the same standard and the same law to anyone reporting to a left-leaning news organization as mm -hmm. they have applied to those of us reporting otherwise. Have you talked to any of the other journalists who were in the Capitol that day? Have you, have you spoken to any of the New York Times journalists or any of those other major uh, outlets? I've actually reached out to some of them and have not had a response yet. I think that... And no public support, no, this is wrong, I, I don't like Steve's politics, or I don't like the outlet he works for, but this is crazy, nothing from them. I have what I think what I would perceive under normal circumstances and in normal times, a collegial relationship mm -hmm. with several journalists mm -hmm. um, that work for New York Times, NBC, Washington Post, et cetera, et cetera, Politico. Yeah. 
But these aren't normal times. Uh, these are not normal circumstances. And I don't know how they're going to respond to this story. I do know that there has been an embargo on my story from all of their editors until I'm arrested. So there is likely to be a spate of stories coming from the MSM after tomorrow. Mm. I just don't know how those will be colored and how they'll be presented. I think we've, we've focused a lot on, on how wrong it is that the government would be targeting a journalist in this situation, and, and, that, and that's true. But it's also really wrong that, that journalists haven't been up in arms about this. I mean, I, do you think that that might be coming after, after these stories come out? Stu, they better be. And, and let me tell you why. It's not because of the retribution of Trump if he wins in November. They don't, they don't have to fear that. Their own side will always turn on them. If they haven't read history, if they haven't read about the Stalinist purges, mm. if they haven't understood that that's the first people that they go after, is they go in and they clean house. Mm. And it doesn't matter if you were supporting some various faction of them. They, it, those factions become very narrowed down. And if you're not if that faction of the larger faction, you're purged. Mm. And so if they want this precedent to be set and allowed to go forward, they're in trouble. Now, I will tell you, I won't tell you his name, I won't tell you which organization and what he works for, but he's incensed that this is happening for me. He's with one of the top okay. DC well, that's good. That's encouraging. agencies. And he, having lunch with him one day just recently, he looked at me and he, he was outraged. Mm. Well, that's, that's at least encouraging. Um, you, do you ha is there any chance that they keep you for longer than just a, you know, a few minutes? Or do you have any idea? We, we've certainly seen examples of those who have been promised that they were going to be uh, you know, right. in and out or catch and release situation where that didn't happen. Mm. Uh, one particular, um, uh, another journalist up to, out of Kansas, his name is Will Pope. He was promised the same thing. He went in for his arraignment, nonviolent offender, and um, he was supposed to be released. And then, oh, sorry, the, the judge had an emergency and he can't be here. So you're going to have to just sit in the tank for the next five days till he comes back. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, last question. Have you thought out your last meal? My last meal? Yes. What's yeah. the final breakfast for Steve Baker? Uh, Briar's mint chocolate chip ice cream. <laughs> oh, yeah. You got in the morning. Yeah. I yeah. like it. That's Why the not? way to do it. That's the way to do it. Uh, Steve Baker, investigative journalist uh, for Blaze Media. And apparently tomorrow going to be a criminal. Uh, hopefully, we hope uh, that this shif uh, shifts and goes the right way. And we hope that journalists speak out. Because I do think that would make a difference. I do think if you had some backing from uh, mainstream journalists, this would make a difference. But mm -hmm. who knows in this world? Steve, man, I wish you luck. And, and once they let you out, please come back and tell us about it. We'll be right back in this building as soon as they let me out. <laughs> The three men who like to visit prostitutes are leading the race to succeed McConnell. Uh, the three Johns is what they're calling them. Uh, no, it's actually three uh, J John senators. You've got uh, John Thune, John Cornyn, and John Barrasso. By the way, uh, please know John Cornyn. I beg of you. I beg of you. No, not John Cornyn. He's terrible. He shouldn't be the senator in Texas. He's awful. Um, and look, Thune isn't great either. I'd prefer Thune over Cornyn. Uh, Barrasso would be better than both of them. There, it would be nice if there were other people getting in the race that were maybe a little more conservative. Uh, we will see. But uh, in that, of, the, of that race, no doubt Barrasso is the best one of the three. Um, we also have news that we, we kind of talked about the Bud Light situation over, over the last couple of years. And it certainly made an impact on, uh, on, on Budweiser and the whole company InBev. Uh, we never really got an idea how much 
that impacted them, though. We, we got percentage-wise, we got some details here and there. Well, we now have an, an estimate, CNN is reporting, over a billion dollars in lost sales. That is a one expensive novelty can. I hope that Dylan Mulvaney can was worth it. A billion dollars. Actually, they say as much as $1.4 billion. You know, when you say, uh, uh, when you just kind of throw out $400 million in sales as a rounding error, that's a problem. That's a problem. But uh, Bud Light is uh, still trying to rehab their image. And I think they they've made some inroads on that, honestly. I mean, I think there's some people who've been like, all right, you know, like they're not the worst company in the world. There's definitely more serious targets than Bud Light. And they are at least, you know, at least they're a company that was is targeted toward adults. You know, I mean, it's not like, like Disney's like, hey, here's porn for kids. And we're like, ah, uh, so I don't know. The Bud Light thing is still sticking around. But and speaking, by the way, of uh, movies, um, one of my favorite movies when I was a kid back in the day was the Naked Gun series. I freaking love Naked Gun. Naked Gun, Naked Gun 2 and a half, and then Naked Gun 33 and a third, which you could tell how old it is. It's a record player reference. That was their joke for the third one. That's how old we are, boys and girls. But they, if you were to hear that they were going to reboot that and do another Naked Gun movie with a whole new cast and everything, Liam Neeson, or Liam Neeson is going to be the star of this movie. Uh, you'd say, well, I don't know. I mean... Can they pull that off? I don't know. I think Liam Neeson might be the guy to pull that off. You know, Leslie Nielsen was a person who was a serious actor, and that's why those movies work so well. He was dead serious in that role, and it it just pulled it off perfectly. Liam Neeson can do that. This is also coming from the Lonely Island, one of the guys from Lonely Lonely Island, which would be, I think, pretty... It seems like it would be well done. They had planned a previous reboot of it back in the day with Ed Helms as the as as the actor. I don't know. I don't think that would have worked. Liam Neeson, I think, might be able to pull this off. I'm optimistic. I'm going to go see it no matter what. But the question is, will I be cursing society afterward? My hope right now, at least, is no. Uh, when you absolutely have to buy a home... And like nobody does this for fun, right? Nobody's like, hey, I just really like buying and selling real estate. You do it for profit or you do it because you absolutely have to. Those are the only two reasons. You need a real estate agent you can trust on your side when you're doing this transaction for any reason. And it's realestateagentsitrust.com. This is a company started by our own Glenn Beck. He started it a long time ago because he was tired of dealing with incompetent real estate agents and figured you might be too. Because you know there are good ones out there, right? Why don't you ever wind up with one? Seems like over and over again, you get the the worst agent and nothing ever works out. Well, that's probably because you're not really doing a screening process. They do that for you at realestateagentsitrust.com. The best people in your area, top sellers, know the lay of the land. They have the best practices for you and your family to get wherever you need to go, whether it's across the street or across the country. Most of these agents are fans of the show. You'll have something to talk to them about. You can make fun of Glenn with them. It'll be a lot of fun. Realestateagentsitrust.com. The name kind of says it all. It's a free service to you. Go there now. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Realestateagentsitrust.com. I'm happy to welcome the chicks on the right to the studio. Miriam, Mock, Weaver, and Amy, Joe, Daisy, Clark. Wow, so many names. I love it. <laughs> a lot I of names. It. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the program. Thank you for Thank having you. us. Thank you. Super happy to be here. For people who don't know you, can you kind of give a quick uh, little background of who you are, where you guys came from, and how you're here? 
Oh, gosh. I don't, can we do that quickly? I don't think. <laughs> I know. How much time do we have? <laughs> well, we're celebrating our 15th anniversary this week. That's incredible. Uh, so super grateful mm-hmm. and glad to be doing it here, which is amazing. We came to celebrate with you. That's yeah, exactly wow. right. That's huh? a terror. I mean, like, you should be going to Vegas <laughs> Where's or something. Where's our cake? What is that? Yeah. <laughs> we understood that you were going to be jumping out of one. Right. So this is why we're here. <laughs> yeah. uh, but we were actually, we came from corporate world and uh, met by serendipitous circumstances in the corporate world and became best friends immediately. Um, And this was the summer of 2008 when Obama mania was sort of taking over the country. And so we found ourselves talking about politics together every day at lunch, which neither one of us had been particularly political. Mm. And then all of a sudden that became a thing and then he was elected and we were just like, what is going on with the country? And then she had this idea. Yeah, I was like, hey, we should start a a blog or some sort of website. Mm. Since we talk about this every single day at lunch over chips and salsa, we should do this. because we do it in a conversational way and not anybody, I, I didn't think anybody at the time, I feel like we were the OGs. The, yeah, the first the bloggers? Time. Yeah, well not the first <laughs> bloggers, but doing it in a way that we did it, which was very conversational at that time because everybody's doing it now, I think. Mm-hmm. Everybody talks and, and says their opinion about it. But at that time, not a lot of people were doing it in the way that we were doing it, and so we started it and our parents read the blog and then we gained sort of a cult following and then it snowballed into um, to radio and a book and and then now we're, here we here we are doing Big a podcast, podcast now. Yeah. I mean, this is really cool. You're doing a podcast with Glenn Beck that's going to be on on Blaze TV. How, how, by the way, how was that experience? So fun! Oh, really? Everything we thought it would be. Yeah, really, we've been really excited mm-hmm. uh, to get to meet him and to exchange stories. And he almost made me cry, but not quite. And I so cried I a feel little. like. She cried a little. Yeah, I had my Barbara so. Walters moment. Yeah, it's yeah. very it's common. He, he's, he makes m- most people miserable yeah. around him. So. <laughs> um, so this is it's really a fascinating thing because I, I think like now, 15 years later, like people might have those same conversations, but they're like in hushed tones at lunch at right? the corporate office. Like yeah. I think people are afraid to say absolutely what they, they want to say, oh, especially to say they're conservative. Yeah. I think we've seen that a lot. Of maybe it's it, the pendulum is swinging back a little bit more now, but over the past, I'd say, 10 years, we've seen a lot of people be afraid to be conservative. We've had people write us and say, "I agree with everything you say, but I'm afraid to say it at work. I'm afraid to say it at my university. I'm afraid to say it here or there in this setting." And so we hope that we. Um, at least encourage people to get active, to start saying what they want to say out loud, to just be more boisterous about their political views because it's not, I mean, it's not a scarlet letter to be conservative. You know? No. But it feels like it, right? We're yeah. so yeah. counterculture now. Yeah, we're the, we're the punk rockers. <laughs> yes. I know, we're yes. against the man, yeah. which is yes. weird. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's funny because like, I think so many people got online and started talking about their views and, and wanted to just express to their friends, hey, this is what I think about this. And now we're at a period where all of these big tech companies are restricting speech. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, you guys probably are going through this as well. Oh, where yeah. like just the reach you used to have is now oh, sh- they shrink it like crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, how does this hit the average person? Well, it, it's a it's a huge problem, and we were telling Glenn about this as well, that we were actually the original folks to get canceled from Facebook or threatened with a shutdown. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Wow. Very honored. <laughs> Badge of honor. Right. But that was back in uh, 2013, and this was before anybody was ever threatened with shutdown or censored on Facebook, and, and it, was, it was a stunning thing to go through, and so different and unusual at the time that the view ended up talking about it that's wow. how big of a deal it was and now now that would be they would never talk yeah about now it. if you're if no. you're not censored as a conservative <laughs> on social media you're the story <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah but wait do you remember what your thought crime was 
I do, absolutely. It was uh -huh. a post I had written um, with a headline or with the title that said, Jay Carney can kiss my assular area. Yeah. <laughs> and Facebook did not like that. Yeah. Well, the there are a lot of trolls that like the algorithm will, right. you know, they'll come out en masse and the people will try to shut you down. And they did. And yeah. so she got shut down. I didn't. And she was like, oh my God, I'm shut down. And so I kind of went on a full PR assault and, and got people to you know, notice that we were getting shut down. And then we did, and we got attention from, from people in the industry who were like, oh my gosh, those girls are getting shut down. Mm. And that's kind of what led to us being in radio mm. for um, almost eight years. Quick follow-up question. Is assular a, a, a actual it's, word? It's a, chick, it's, it's, not, a chick word. Yeah, it's a chick word. It's part of our chictionary. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good, good. <laughs> so it's yes. not, it wasn't a word. It wasn't and, a word. But it is now. Mm -hmm. So, so you, you get the attention from this and then you you go do the radio show now it's turned into this big podcast and like you're just still saying what you believe two friends saying what you believe which is a great story yeah. and I feel like now I mean I, that the saying what you believe thing is now like really unique it, yeah. it's really like it used to be what the whole country was based on and now it's like really unique like you know going to the election for example like just pointing out that we've all kind of noticed that Joe Biden's old <laughs> yeah I, I don't know if you guys seen this as well. I've noticed it myself. Yeah, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Uh -huh. And like people like John Stewart coming out and also noticing that and mm -hmm. he gets lit up by his own people over this. I mean, yeah. it's a crazy time. Yeah. It is a and crazy. America time. is is not looking like America anymore because of that reason. Like mm -hmm. there are certain things we're all speaking in hushed tones. You're not supposed to say certain things and so the people that do are kind of the outcasts, you know, we're the we're antithetical to what you're supposed mm -hmm. to yeah. be saying in the and it's and it's ridiculous because it's all just common sense stuff. Like we all know it. Everybody's right. thinking it. Like we're just the ones who say it. Especially if you're women, and we get a lot of uh, we'll get pushback for that. You know, we've got death threats. We've had all the the things that have happened over the past. Well, you week. don't. You're not popular until you get death threats. I mean, right. Just, you know, <laughs> Is that what right they say? I'm pretty sure that's in yeah, that the, the fame handbook. Yeah. Uh, well, how is it different for women? Would you say? So uh, I, I mean, I, 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 you know, we get, of course, guys get beat up online as well. But yeah. is, it, is it more harsh for I, women? Well, I think it's, it's, it's more personal women. and ugly. I yeah. think, you know, because mm. women will attack appearances or, or yeah. guys will attack women's appearances. Mm -hmm. So there's a different element to that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's all the same. If you disagree with someone ideologically, it's very, very easy now to just be mean, uh, you know, mm. in a personal way. And so, I don't know. I, I, I don't like to... I don't ever like to use the woman card yeah. when, when, right. when we talk mm -hmm. about that kind of thing. I don't feel like we get more or worse threats, for example, than you might or mm -hmm. that Glenn might. Um, well, it's Glenn just really different. Ones, yeah. yeah, I'm yeah. sure he yeah. has yeah. good problems. Yeah. Uh, it's just different. All right, let's talk about the election a little bit with Joe Biden because, I mean, look, I mean, can a guy in his state actually win an election? And, and I mean, I, I look at him and I'm and I talk to a lot of friends and they're like. Yeah, you because know, I'm a nerd and I go through these you know, polls all the time and talk about this stuff. And people, and I have conservative friends that are like, "You're crazy! Like, there's no way this is even going to be close. Like, Joe Biden is so bad that anybody could beat him." And I'm, I, I keep saying, like, I don't. Do you know this country? Have you talked to other people? Some of them right? are just insane, and there's a lot of them. And they all have votes, and those votes cancel out your votes. Insane and dumb. Yes. Yes. There's. A, I mean, I think you overestimate if that person thinks that. Oh, because listen, it, everything is terrible. Every, it, it should be Everything. a shoe in. It should be. This should be so easy, 
but there are, I, I mean, I hate to say that, but there are a lot of really dumb people. <laughs> and these, these people are all like, look at the emperor's clothes. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're all yeah. convincing themselves so hard. That it's great. That Yeah, that everything is fine it's and great. that Joe Biden is fine and that he's mm -hmm. not old and he's not demented. And right. It's like, do you, but we see him. Yeah. We, we can see what's yeah. happening. As evidenced by the media, they'll get their marching orders on what to say. Yeah. You know, we played montages on our show all the time of just the, all the different talking heads of MSNBC, CNN, CBS, all these, and they'll all say the same things. They're yeah. all telling us, it's great, eggs aren't expensive. <laughs> right. you know, it's like yeah. all of the things that we're supposed to be hearing right. and, and believing, but we all know because we all live in the real world and it's, it's not so. And so, yeah, I want, I, listen, I'm, I'm a little worried. She's more worried than I am. When we yeah. first started, she was more of the optimist and I was more of the cynic and mm -hmm. we've kind of switched places. Totally Interesting. switched. It's yeah. really strange how that works, but I'm trying to keep her, keep the pep in her step, <laughs> if you will, because I'm like, listen, you got to remain positive because hopefully people will get up and go to the polls. That's where it matters. I mean, because we can, as Republicans, as conservatives, we can think, okay, we've got this in the bag, but unless we get off our butts and go vote, and just overwhelm the polls, mm -hmm. it's just, nothing's gonna matter. I think it's an interesting test of like where we are as a country and that like we're gonna get six, eight months, whatever this is now, of the media pitching, you know, Bidenomics is working and the border actually isn't a crisis and all of these things that everybody knows are not true. Right. And they're gonna pitch it hard and they're gonna pitch it with a straight face and they're mm -hmm. gonna say it over and over again and they're gonna agree with every word that the Biden administration wants them to say. And then there's gonna be people like you who are out there saying, wait a minute, this is wrong, this is wrong, yeah. this is wrong. I mean, the, the mainstream media is still a behemoth. I mean, is yeah. there enough on the other side to push back against it? Gosh, I, I mean, I think reality is what pushes back against it, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, because right. everybody has to go to the grocery store, everybody has to buy gas, mm. everybody wants to be able to afford a home. And so these are basic things. And you know, you hear stories and you read about, for example, lots more people in the black community coming out and saying, the, the border stuff is a bunch of bullcrap, you know what I mean? And the, the fact that there's all these migrants or illegal aliens infiltrating our towns, this isn't okay. Mm -hmm. And so it's like there's all these people waking up that maybe weren't quite as woken up before that now are realizing day-to-day -day life is hard and it wasn't back when Trump was president. So I hope that people recognize that and, and look to make their votes personal and not just about, well, I'm voting for the Democrat because Republicans want to control my uterus or whatever yeah. the new line of the day is. I hope that they recognize how their lives are different now. You yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. It's the reality that should be sending them the message. And I, I think things. Uh, one of the things that sets us apart from other, I guess, I don't even know, what what would you call us, pundits? Like, uh, yeah. whatever, we, whatever it is that we do. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that sets us apart is we um, have this really wonderful community. Like, we've been really good at building a community mm -hmm. over the past 15 years. And we can see them in real time when we're on every single morning. And we can see how pissed off people are. Yeah. We can see how disillusioned they are. We can see how upset they are. We can see that, like, when we show clips, we can see them react to those clips real time. And so, I mean, if you pay attention to that, which we do, um, people are not buying what they're selling. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's so, real, right? Like it's I, real. And it just, it's hard for me to believe, you know, but I, I mean, again, the other part of me thinks, okay, well, the media's there, they're gonna say all these things. And, you know, we talk a lot about like the Trump, Trump derangement syndrome type of thing, mm -hmm. right? Which is a real phenomenon. Like yep. I, I'm much more, I think like you guys, right? I wanna call it balls and strikes. Trump's done some good things, some things I don't like. Right. Um, but 
the derangement syndrome is a reality, and everyone I think who's a Trump supporter would say it's a reality. But then, like, when they look at the election, they don't see that 50 percent of the country has this thing you're talking about. Like, they're there. They don't care what Trump says. They don't care if their life was better. They will punish themselves with four more years of Biden just to vote against Trump. And I think that's a real danger coming up. It is, especially when you throw RFK into the mix, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's an interesting uh, situation as well. And we had talked to Glenn about that as well. Like, how and I don't think any of us really have a good sense about how he will impact the outcome or the election or who is he going to pull votes away from. It is impossible to predict that right now. Yeah, because I don't trust polls. Yeah, you can't trust them. Do not trust them. I always say you can get generalities from polls. Mm -hmm. If you try to get specifics, like there's a two-point difference, you're never going to get what you want. You can get, you know, know, who's way ahead, who's way behind, but you only get generalities from it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So as you kind of go forward here and and you have how many years? I mean, you have 15 years behind you now. How many years more do you want to be doing this? Oh how much gosh, more can you deal with each other? At least 30. I'm going to be like the, I'm going to be like the crypt keeper. <laughs> like we that. told Glenn that we're going to have to change our name to Hens on the Right, right. at some point yeah. because you know I mean, it's getting some along point. The at yeah. some point, the distant, distant future. Yes. That's way in the future. <laughs> totally. Um, do you have? Do you come into this period after 15 years with optimism for the country, or do you look at it as like? I, mean, I know you said you're kind of split on the optimism, pessimism side, but what do you see for the future of the country? Miriam? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I used to be such an optimist. Yeah. Um, and I feel less so, as much as I hate to say that, I feel less so unless we can turn this around and make some serious changes this year. Um, and I, I hate feeling like that, but I feel like there's been so much damage that's happened mm-hmm. over the last three years and then more, more long-term in our education system, in the media, in some of our government agencies that I don't know how we can reverse it. It seems so entrenched in yeah. many ways that it makes me very, very... I I hear you on that because when I think of that, I think of Taylor Lorenz. Yes. Like here's a person who's like grown up in this world and has now grown up to be a New York Times and a Washington Post journalist who has some level of credibility to people that she keeps getting jobs. And she's obviously insane. Right. Like, obviously, like bonkers in every (laughs) single way. Yeah. And yet. This generation of people is now going to become the people telling us the story, telling us the history. They're not all bad. They're like not. that's see, this is I will be the silver okay, lining. I'm the silver lining girl, all right. Yay. Which is weird because I was like queen cynic when we started. <laughs> but I have a 14 year old daughter now, and she is she's surrounded by a bunch of other 14 year old girls who have faith. They're good girls. They're mostly conservative. They believe in freedom. So. They exist. Yes. They totally these these kids do exist, and I think that the pendulum has swung so far one way that I think it has to eventually swing back. And I think a lot of these That's kids, true. these kids are over it. Like they see the madness. I think a lot of these Gen Alphas are yeah. kind of like the Gen Xers. Mm. Because, I mean, I'm a Gen Xer raising a Gen Alpha. Not all of them are raised by Gen Xers. But I'm, I just see some of these Gen Alphas being like the Gen Xers and that they're like looking around going, what in the heck <laughs> is going on, you yeah. know? And so I have hope for that generation, mm. if nothing else. Well, I, I have a 12 and an 11 year old myself and I'm going to end on your optimistic take because that's Please what I want to believe. That's yes. what I want to yes. believe. Yes. <laughs> uh, Miriam Mock Weaver and Amy Joe Daisy Clark. You can check them out on the Chicks on the Right podcast. Guys, this is awesome. Thanks so yes, much for coming thank out. Thank you. So we much. appreciate it.
Every year, our culture seems to sink deeper and deeper into the quicksand of hopelessness and despair. Our moral compass no longer automatically points to the true north of truth and godliness, but more to the chaos of sin and doubt. It is a time for men of this country to rise up and put on the full armor of God so that they can be the leaders he's called them to be and take a stand against the evil forces trying to destroy us. We talk about this stuff all the time. We need to do something about it. Godly men need to meet together and encourage one another to, toward love and good deeds, as it says in Hebrews. And, and that's what inspired Jason Whitlock to organize an event called Fearless Army Roll Call 2.0. It's brought to you this year by Preborn, and it is an all-day event in Nashville, Tennessee on June 1st that will bring these men together under a united banner of godliness and responsibility. At this conference, you'll hear speeches from Jason and several special guests. It's going to be a great time, and you'll get something out of it. Come have your heart and mind filled with messages that God wants you to hear and share fellowship with your fellow Christians. Go to fearlessarmyrollcall.com, fearlessarmyrollcall.com. Reserve your spot today. By the way, that's sponsored by the good folks over at Preborn. BlazeTV.com slash stew is our site to subscribe to Blaze TV. If you use the code stew, you'll save 20 bucks. Have a great night.